You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1011 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday. And today's podcast is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. With 95 calories and 2.6 carbs, only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. On Tuesday evening, I recorded a recap episode of Game 2 of Hawks Sixers, in which the Hawks lost in Philly, and now the series is 1-1, heading back to Atlanta. Um, shortly after that, I recorded this podcast, which you're about to hear with a new contributor of Peachtree Hoops. You can find him at Bowser2Bowser on Twitter. Um, you will see his work all over the place, uh, video breakdowns, all that stuff. Um, and that's uh, coming up later in the episode. But that was a lot of fun to uh, check up with him, talk about the first two games, and that is coming momentarily. There is some news, though, um, and a little bit of, uh, you know, full disclosure here. I'm recording this fairly late Tuesday night, so... Uh, I had uh, I have scheduled stuff on Wednesday, and I wanted to make sure I get you guys some uh, new content. So basically, a double header of episodes from me dropping in short order. So there you go on that. Um, but Travis Schlenk did his, radio, his regular radio hit on Tuesday morning with 92.9 The Game, and Mike Conti of 92.9 passed along some of the quotes from that audio. Uh, people were asking me about that, so I want to touch on that real quickly here at the top. Again, this was all before, before, before Game 2. Uh, but some on-the-record stuff from Travis. Um, first, Cam Reddish update. He said the next step for him is getting up, him running up and down the floor in a live setting. But he said, quote, he's extremely close to being available to suit up for us, end quote. Um, I don't have any idea. Obviously, I played the audio for everybody after game one with regard to what McMillan said, which is a little bit different than what the Hawks actually announced. I don't have any answers beyond those public, com- those public comments. One thing I have said, and I'll say again now, is that even if Reddish is available... I'm not sure he's going to play. Now, with Hunter potentially unavailable, as we'll get into in a second, that would open the door for more minutes. If Hunter was full go as he was in the next series, I would think uh, there probably wasn't a whole lot of uh, role for Reddish to fill. But we'll see moving forward, and I'll have the latest on that as it's coming. Um, as for Hunter, uh like to talk about him again. This is, again, before uh, Game 2. Um, he said that Hunter has some swelling in the knee following Game 5 of the Knicks series. I'm going to read the quote to you from Mike Conti via Travis Schlenk. Quote, we're being cautious with him. We don't want anything with him that would jeopardize long-term effects with the knee. It's it's walking that fine line between living in the moment and projecting 5 or 10 years down the line to do what's best for the franchise. End quote. One thing I will note here is that Hunter was actually on the injury report before Game 5. So Schlenk mentions the swelling after Game 5. He was probable, but still, he was on the injury report after not being on the injury report before Game 5, so I'm not sure what the timeline actually is for anything that was bothering him in that knee. But normally, when you go from off the injury report to on, even as probable, it could have been something bothering him at that point in time. So, I don't I don't really know. Um, nothing new on that front. Maybe we'll get an update at some point on Wednesday or Thursday in between games. But for now, Hunter missed the first two games. He could play in Game 3. I wouldn't be surprised. He could miss the whole series, and I wouldn't be surprised. That's where we are with regard to DeAndre Hunter. At this moment, as I'm recording this in the wee hours on Wednesday morning. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's the worth of you enjoy it. And 95 calories, 2.6 carbs. You can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Lastly, on the news front, before we get to the interview that I did, um, Nate McMillan finished fifth in Coach of the Year voting. 
not a huge surprise. Tom Thibodeau was the narrow favorite and uh, won that one over Monty Williams. And for a long while, it was one of those two guys that was going to win, almost certainly. Quinn Snyder third, Doc Rivers fourth. McMillan didn't get any top two votes, but got a bunch of tw- uh, bunch of third place votes, actually 12 of those to finish fifth. Um, it was obviously going to be an uphill battle for him to actually win the award based on the fact that he only coached 38 of, th- of the 72 games. And honestly, it's fairly astounding that McMillan was able to finish in the top five while coaching half the season. That does not usually happen in Coach of the Year. So he's done a fantastic job. No question about that whatsoever. So good, good to see some recognition from him, from his peers for that work. Also, MVP got announced on Tuesday night. Jokic won. Not a big surprise there at all. I thought Trey Young might get some stray votes down the ballot, but he actually did not. Um, the big jokes were Derrick Rose getting a first place vote, which ended up being a fan voting, which is always an adventure. But, um, you know, that's kind of the only, kind of the only update there. I, I don't think Trey was going to win, but I thought that he might get some votes, like fifth place votes kind of thing. It didn't actually not happen at the end of this. Um, but, you know, maybe in the future, I still think that my, uh, my preseason proclamation that Trey was pretty good value, 80 to 1 or 100 to 1, was probably right. But alas, it did not come, uh, come to fruition at the end of the day. Uh, before we get to the rest of the podcast, it's time to dive into our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And last week I said this, and I'll say it again now. I could go with Trey Young every week, and I'm not going to do that here because it's just too obvious sometimes. But uh, instead, I will go with Kevin Herter. So Kevin Herter had 20 points on 8 of 10 shooting and 2 block shots in Game 2. Uh, yes, they lost, but he was awesome. He met, he made his first 8 shots and was just kind of cooking, keeping them alive, and uh, he was a big part of that comeback effort that they actually had in the middle of the game. Game 1, he had 15, 5, and 4 and was also efficient. For the series, he's 14 of 19 from the floor and 6 of 11 from 3. And obviously, that's the headliner with Herter. He's a great shooter. Um, he's been much, much better with his floater game and finishing around the rim recently. And uh, I want to point out, defensively, he's been pretty solid all year long. And I think now he's getting some recognition for it. But I think, in general, he is a starting caliber player. He's been running into form all year long at the end of the year. And he's been playing out of his mind in the playoffs. So that is much more uh, the kind of guy that obviously the Hawks are looking for. And he'll be extension eligible later this summer, which will be interesting in a lot of ways. But for now, we'll just recognize him as having an awesome week on the floor and being a huge part of the Hawks' success this season. Are you happy because you win? Do you win because you're happy? With only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it in the end. Joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is Kevin Herter. Today's show is also brought to you by the good folks at Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Locker Room is a perfect place to start and join conversations about the league, and you'll find fans just like you in Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, of course, reacting to all the biggest news and rumors. You can even find lots on hosts across MLB, NBA, and the NHL, including some of our big-name folks. In fact, I know for a fact the Hollinger and Duncan podcast has been on there, um, recording live and then sharing that on their podcast platform. All kinds of our hosts are up and down the channels. You can find them in the Locked On rooms, and you definitely should go ahead and check that out now. In fact... Go download the free Locker Room app, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any of the conversations about the NFL, MLB, and NHL, in addition to the NBA, for all the latest league updates. I know you'll find incredible rooms about your favorite teams in your leagues, and I'll be sure to let you know once there are even more rooms going on for the Locked On team. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. I'm joined now by a new contributor to Peace Tree Hoops, you can find him on the Twitter machine at Bowser to Bowser. 
welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Uh, you know, we just got done watching uh, game two <laughs> as we record this late into the evening, and I appreciate your willingness to jump on late night. And obviously a lot of interesting stuff to get into from game one and game two. Uh, game one, a lot more favorable for Atlanta. Game two, a little bit less so. Um, we'll, we'll dive into a lot of different stuff here, but I wanted to ask you, uh, what was your like? What were your takeaways? What was your main takeaway, even from game from game two, and what what became a uh, I guess a pretty lopsided loss, even though it was kind of closer than that for part of the game. Yeah. So my main takeaway was I wasn't too surprised by the opening. Um, I was surprised Simmons didn't go on to Trey earlier in game one, and I remember it was like a minute or two into this game, and Ben Simmons made Trey pick up his dribble, and I was like, whoa, we don't see that happen a lot. And then there was a ripple effect of the Sixers scored, the, the starters, they scored pretty much the same number of points individually in the first game and the second game. Um, but when Shake Milton turns into, you know, Michael Jordan coming off the bench, um, that really buoys your second unit. Uh, but I was very happy the Hawks put up a fight because I was kind of worried that, you know, the underdog team, takes game one and then there's the gentleman sweep of they lose the next four games it, and if the hawks hadn't come, came back at all i would, would have been afraid that people would start expecting that to happen but the fact that the hawks came back they found things that, that worked and they found some lineups that worked a little bit better slowed and beat down a little bit um gave me a little bit of optimism into going into game three yeah i i totally agree i think it would have you know if you look at the box score only, the Hawks lose this game by 16 points. You might assume that was you know, kind of a breezy win. I guess it was in the fourth quarter, but the fact that they were able to come back from 18 down and, you know, briefly take a lead and really show some fight is pretty encouraging, you know, even if the end result was not great. And, you know, I've tried to, I try to say this and be as encouraging as possible. The Hawks going up to Philly and getting, getting a split is, is pretty good news. Obviously you want to be greedy and get both, but mm -hmm. getting a split is kind of all you are supposed to do as a team trying to get an upset yeah. win in a series. So if you want to be optimistic, which is not always my strong suit, but if you want to be, uh, you can certainly find something to to dive into. I, I wonder what you think about this. I, I've said this on my uh, before I brought you in and on my last show. Um, I thought that this is a pretty clearly a defensive loss for the Hawks. If I had to pick one side, would you agree with that, or what, did you were, were you more concerned about the offense than I was? So I was, I could see why you say that, but I was feeling more of an offensive loss because of how many points the Sixers got through live ball turnovers, how many points they got through, you know, bad shots that were, re, that were missed and then rebounded. And then there was that, you know, Simmons can do his thing in the early offense or transition. Um, Cause it's this weird stat that I was just like stumbled upon. So these are the point totals of the Sixers starters from game one to game two. Danny Green, four points or five points. Tobias Harris, 20 points or 22 points. Uh, Embiid, 39 points to 40 points. Seth Curry, 21 points to 20 points. So that's everyone is within <laughs> one or two points. Well, Simmons, a little bit different, but those guys score basically the same that they scored in the first game. And so a lot of those points seem to come very easy. Tobias Harris had however many in the first quarter, um, and a lot of those were on runouts. A lot of them were on, you know, uh, deflections that got turned into fast break points. 
Um, so I kind of feel like it's the defense, of, like if I'm maybe taking a cheap answer, because of the offense, because we were missing shots. And I'm kind of curious because did you feel like Capella did demonstrate worse on Embiid this game versus last game um, to you? I would say maybe a little, but I agree with your overall premise. And I think it's actually, I'm glad you said it because I'm not sure I even said it on the last show, but you're right in that a lot of the defensive issues, if you want to call them that, were as a result of, you know, I did mention the, the turnovers, but the 18 turnovers to 28 points, including 20 fast break points, that's, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a bad spot there. So that, I think I, I kind of agree with your point. But I, I agree, as far as Capella is concerned, you know, it did feel like Embiid maybe did a little bit, you know, got a little bit more comfortable in this game. But even then, like, there were still moments when Embiid was kind of settling. He took a, he took a couple of bad shots. He wasn't incredibly mm-hmm. efficient. Like, he was efficient still. But 33 shooting possessions for 40 points is not, like, overwhelming for Embiid. So I don't think that Capella was demonstrably worse by any means. Maybe a yeah, little bit, yeah. but I agree. You know? Yeah, because that's what I was kind of thinking. Like, it felt like it stood out more in this game, like like seeing him be do whatever to Capella. But I was like, but then, you know, he scored 39 points in the first game. Like, it, like, um, and if we won that game, obviously, Embiid can score that points and still not be enough for Philly to win. Um, so, yeah, there's another – so, the stat on an off turnovers, I found this other one um, off steal specifically – the Sixers had 16 points off steals off of 10 steals as 10 possessions, 16 points versus Atlanta, uh, zero points off of two steals. So the live ball turnovers, especially 16 points right there. I mean, how much was the final deficit? 16 was. Yeah. So was that exactly um, the, I mean, obviously that's not, doesn't explain the entire deficit, but it's the happens to be a coincidence of the same number. Um, cause yeah, I, I felt like, you know, Embiid scored his points and I felt like I noticed it more in this game against Capella, but I don't think it was actually, I mean, I, I'm gonna have to rewatch the game and see, but I don't think it was very different from game one. I just think everything else was different, you know, no bench points, um, all those turnovers the Sixers had when they limit, when they reverse both of those two factors, the bench points and the turnovers, then everything else kind of comes to light. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. And, you know, if you look at the box score and even watching, I think the biggest single difference, um, maybe maybe the turnovers for Atlanta, but I think was the, was Philly's bench. And even then, mm-hmm. Philly's bench in the first half was still bad. Like, they kind of yeah. lit it on fire in the first half, and then it was mostly Shake Milton uh, and that one stretch. Like, I don't want to attribute too much to that, but – you know, if you want to convince me the Hawks were in that game all the way to the very end, barring that Shake Milton explosion, I, I would believe you. Um, he kind of just went ballistic, and that's going to happen. I mean, sometimes it's going to happen, but it's unfortunate. It's probably uh, unlucky, I would describe that as, because I am a Shake Milton believer, but no one, not even the biggest Shake Milton believer, would have believed that was going to happen. So <laughs> if you want to take that tack, like, you know, I, I didn't realize how similar the boss score stuff was until you said it. Um, but that is kind of wild because if you look at it, like, you know, Atlanta's offense, not as good. You know, a lot of that's maybe train up playing as well. And we'll get into that in a second too, but um, just not my, I guess my point would be, you cannot rely on just absolutely eviscerating Philly's bench, the entire series. Like you're still better than them on the bench, I think, 
but mm -hmm. it was unsustainable to think they, they were just going to absolutely kill them every time they came on the floor, which did happen for the first three halves of the series. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think Shake's, Shake's first bucket was right after Atlanta took the lead for the first time, right? I um, think it was. Yeah, I think that might be right. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes, whatever, four for five after that. And that was when most of the starters for Philly went to the bench. Yep. So, you know, Atlanta's playing against Philly's starters and gets the lead down to zero, down to, you know, they get they take over the lead. Then it's it's Matisse Thibel's out there. Uh, George Hill is out there. Ben Simmons was on the bench for a long period from the end of the third to, like, past. And Embiid came in at, like, 646-ish. And Ben Simmons, I think, was still on the bench at that point. And so that whole run came with no Embiid, um, no Ben Simmons. I think Tobias Harris was out there, but it was George Hill, it was Matisse Thibel, and it was Shake Milton. And if you can get the starters down to, you know, the starters and whittle them down and get Embiid a little tired, um, and then the backups come in, the backups who demolished in game one, I mean, I don't think even Shake Milton thought that was going to happen. Or maybe Shake Milton did, but I don't think a lot of people thought that was going to happen. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, if you if you just put it simply, the Hawks taking the lead when they took it late in the third, that is usually when the benches are going to take over. And judging by the rest mm -hmm. of the series, before, before that, you would have thought the Hawks were going to be in this great spot because they had been killing them. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that, this, the, fact that the game – really swung in that stretch beginning with Milton and almost single-handedly. I don't want to say it was all him, but a lot of it was him. He was plus 15 in 14 <laughs> minutes. And a lot of that was just, you know, the, the late, uh, I don't want to overstate this either, but the buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter felt like yeah. a big shot. I mean, from four to seven. Yeah. And then he comes out of the gate and hits two more to open the fourth quarter. And I said it on my, on my last show, it was a 39 run from when the Hawks took the lead. 80 to 79 until the end of that so wow i didn't know that yeah, yeah 30, it was 30, 30 to 9 so it's like you know and again part of that was when the starters are back on the floor and Embiid had a little bit to do with that and all that but it, it started mm -hmm. with milton and i don't know there's some noise in there but it's it's it has to be frustrating for hawks fans to watch that see the comeback all the way and i may notice this too but it takes a lot of effort to come back from 18 down and the hawks had to expend a lot of energy you would think because even then they got they got down by ten again in the third quarter and had to come back again, and comebacks mm -hmm. are exhausting. I mean, teams always say that like it takes a little bit of extra juice out of you to have to do that, and I wonder if there was a little bit of like running out of gas too at some point. But I don't want to attribute too much to that either because you know they had actually um, other than Bogdanovich uh, and I guess Trey played thirty eight minutes. There was not a, like a like a ton of minute stuff in this game. It's just that they uh, you know they had to expend a lot of energy and. When you're going to lose your bench minutes after all of that, it's got to be pretty deflating. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Shake Milton being a plus 15 in 14 minutes. Not only that, but he scored 14 points in 14 minutes. Yep, he scored a point a minute of being in the game. And I believe it was 14 um, points in his first 10 minutes. I don't, I don't, I don't think he scored the, when he came back. Yeah, game, yeah, I don't he, he definitely. He, yeah, he definitely. He scored like. I, I can't do the math off the top of my head. Um, it was fast, <laughs> but it was fast because it was that it was at three. Then it was the two. Then it was a three at the end of the buzzer. So I think he scored eight at the end of the, by the end of the third, um, and then he scored early. Yeah, so it was it was fast, and that I mean 
I still remember. Do you remember a year ago when Embiid and Shake Milton yelled at each other when TJ McConnell stole the inbounds pass? Do you remember this on the sideline in the bubble? Yes, I do. So I was picturing that after like game one. Game one, he comes in, he plays what, 36 seconds or whatever he did, you know? And I, I, and I remember like Embiid got mad at one of his teammates this game, and I don't remember what the reason was, but it gave me flashbacks of that moment. And then I was like, oh, yeah, Shake Milton, you know, I wonder if he'll be a factor. And then lo and behold, that happens. Um, and it was just like, yeah, I, I bet Embiid's a little bit happier with that second unit. Because that second unit, I mean, they've got a lot of good individual players, in my opinion. Um, I mean, George Hill, if he, you know, it, his health, I think, is maybe not where it sh- should be or it has been in the past. But, I mean, Thibel, Maxi, besides Korkmaz, they don't have a lot of, like, shooting in that second unit. Um, you know, Dwight Howard out there. And so it's kind of hard for Maxi to get his driving lanes, things like that. So if Shake Milton is spacing the floor, that ends up making a huge difference. Um and just <laughs> hats off to him. I mean, sometimes you go four for five. Sometimes you go over five. At the end of the day, you're 40% shooter. But, you know, and if I had to pick my way, I'm going to hope the other team gets hot on the game when Trey Young is not hot, right? Like, Trey Young has one of the, what was he, 38% from the field, 14% from three. Um it's very hard to lose when your best player has an off night like that. I'm sorry. Very hard to win when your best yeah. player has an off night like that. Yeah, for sure. And I want to ask you actually about the offense. We'll start with Trey, but first a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone who is not an elite athlete like me, you're just trying to make it through the day with tension free activities. Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. You and the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun has also been awesome for me, uh, trying to relieve some tension from hovering over the, over the computer all day long and being stiff and all of that. It's been a godsend through that prism. And honestly, you should use it because I use it and uh, you absolutely should too to be relaxed and help you feel better. Theragun is also trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers in addition to me. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. Bet online is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at betonline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that... All the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB, NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. 
before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Posted on the sidelines anymore, this is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's uh, let's get back into that with, with, with regard to Trey, because, you know, I think especially nationally, I'm prepared for the, you know, Oh, Trey Young struggled. He had a bad game, but, uh, you know, and obviously <laughs> yeah. he wasn't—he wasn't very good in this game. And I say that knowing full well he had twenty-one and eleven, so it's like kind of funny when Trey Young's bad game still ends up with twenty-one and eleven. That kind of tells you how good he mm-hmm. is and how much of a part of the team he is. But he wasn't very good in this game, and he was probably due for one. He was incredible uh, in the first six playoff games, but you know, it's, it is to your point a second ago. It is hard for the Hawks to win if Trey is especially against a good right. team on the road if Trey's going to play that way. And they almost pulled it off in part because Gallinari and Herter, um, especially Herter, went pretty crazy at times to mm-hmm. sort of offset that. But, I mean, I guess I'll open up to you. What, what did you make of the offense? Because we talked a lot about the defense. And the offense, um, I think it's a little bit skewed by the fourth quarter and kind of the garbage time. But the offense, I think the numbers were okay until the four, until late fourth. Um, but it obviously wasn't their best effort offensively. Yeah, so I was worried about the Simmons matchup because it's not just the Simmons matchup. They also have good defenders around him, and it's harder for Trey to go matchup hunting when, like, the only negative defender on the court is um, Seth Curry, right? Like, there's four guys that you that aren't toast if they get switched on to Trey, so you can't really just go hunting for a weak spot as easily as you can against some other teams. And one thing, so I was on the bouncing around pod at, after I think it was game three of the last round. And I said, uh, and I was asked like, what would you do against Trey? And, and it was like, you know, just how do you kill a snake? You know, cut it up, cut off the head. Uh, when teams have face guarded Trey this season, it has disrupted, it has this whole chain reaction. Um, and they did it a few times. There was one time where Kevin Herter, after a timeout, had to come play point guard because Trey was being face guarded and he scored off of it, but it was kind of like, what do we do? What do we do? You know, Trey, should we try to get you the ball? And so you waste some valuable shot clock seconds, you know, with, with Ben Simmons or Matisse Thibel face guarding Trey. And so then you can kind of get him out of his rhythm. Um, And if you're not playing drop coverage, he doesn't really get to his floaters as much. And he had some floaters today, but not as many as he had in the first game. I don't think, um, so I feel like I feel like with all people who are shooters, there's going to be games when you're 40% from the field and some games when you're 60% from the field, right? That's just kind of like how uh, uh, averages work out in, in the end. Um, so I'm not like too worried about it from Trey's standpoint. I'm a little worried about it, um, about getting into his rhythm because they know to put Simmons on him. Because also they have Simmons on him. They can have Danny Green as an off-ball defender where he's great and things like that. Um, and also they got smarter on the offensive end. So one of the things they were doing was when Embiid was in like the mid post on one side, they would have Ben Simmons in the weak side dunker spot, right? In the low post on the weak side. And they would put whoever, like, like Matisse Bible, whoever Trey was guarding in the weak side corner. Because if Embiid gets doubled, it comes from Ben Simmons' guy. Then that means Trey has to leave Matisse Thibel and 
and take Ben Simmons, help the helper is called, or Seek and Phil is also called. So even if th that rotation happens as it should, we've got a 6'10 Ben Simmons on Trey Young right next to the basket. So that's not an ideal rotation anyways. So it's pretty clever of, of Philly was putting the players in intelligent spots in order to make the weak side rotations and the double teams not as effective. And so there was that one inbounds play with Tobias Harris where he got switched on to Trey and scored. But for the most part, Philly wasn't really attacking Trey head on, but they were they were making the defense slightly weaker through clever kind of machinations um, of where they put Matisse Thibel, of where they did these things, of um, some things they were doing with Curry early on. So they got smarter on how to how to take advantage of, of Trey's defense. And that's not isolated. Like, like, like there's more than one way to beat a bad defender and it's not have Seth Curry dribble ISO on yeah. Trey Young, right? And it's not have Alfred Payton do the same thing, right? Like there's smarter ways to do it. And um, when Trey would be the tagger, the help defender on the pick and roll against Taj Gibson, well, Taj Gibson, you know, Nerlens Noel, they're not really post-up threats. But if it's Tobias Harris, if it's Ben Simmons, if it's Embiid, they are liable to post up Trey. So the Sixers did a, a smarter job, in my opinion, in game two at placing Trey in spots that would make the rotations weaker for Atlanta. But on the offensive side of things, um, I've this is this is less of an observation as the season wore on, but especially early on, I noticed how you can really take Atlanta out of its game by nullifying Trey Young by face guarding him by making Kevin Herter, you know, play point guard against a, against a set defense, things like that. And so Ben Simmons is getting votes for a defensive player of the year for a reason, you know, like that award goes to a center, to a center, to a center, like almost every single year. And then Ben Simmons, you know, there was a push for him to get the award for a reason. He's a really great defender. And I think it was a lot smarter to, put him on Trey it kind of, I was kind of surprised it took so long to figure that out um you know because I'm so much smarter than Doc Rivers obviously uh <laughs> but when it happened I was like okay yeah that's gonna slow down things a bit but I don't know what do you think yeah I mean I feel like there are gonna be counters to the counters in game three and beyond that's part of the fun of a series like this is you know I think everyone knew they were gonna put Simmons on him Simmons even kind of said it and Doc kind of mentioned it they were that mm -hmm. was gonna happen um, and now they did a little bit more and Trey, you know, I'm not sure I want to give all the credit to Simmons. I'm, I know you're not either. I think Trey just didn't play as well either, which happens sometimes. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll see what the adjustment is. You know, is it going to be uh, trying to design stuff to get Trey on in better matchups? Is it going to be trying to get off the ball a little bit more? I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see what the uh, adjustments are. But, you know, there were also issues beyond that. Like, for instance, you know, I thought Collins was not his best in this game, to put it kindly. No. Um and then you throw in like Capella has been kind of a non-entity in the series so far. Um, not that those guys are going to carry your offense. I mean, Collins is more capable of it, but I think honestly, the Herder and Gallinari explosions kind of papered over some of the more dire issues offensively in this game. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wonder, like, I wonder what you think of what, like, even a couple of adjustments might be because you know something's going to change. They're going to try something different, and it can't just be you know hope to make twenty threes like you did in game one. It's going to have to be. <laughs> Uh, some structural decision making, and this is, this is part of the fun of it. But is there something that you think they should do that's like low hanging fruit for Game Three? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, do you remember what low-hanging fruit there was for the Knicks early on in that series? Like, the most obvious was, like, if Alfred Payton's only playing the opening minutes <laughs> of the half, oh, yeah. maybe he shouldn't be starting, right? Like, maybe you can take him off the bench or whatever. And so I get why Sullivan Hill is out there. but It did, it did not go well tonight at all. It didn't go well. And, I, I mean, because – when you have Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons next to Embiid, you basically have, you know, a center and then two people who are power forward sides, right? So you want, you know, if you're going to have, that means you would have to have Bogey or Kevin Herter, if both of them are starting, on a guy who's a power forward size. So I get why you want Solomon Hill out there, but I don't think, I think it's a sign that maybe those lines don't work, the fact that, they only happen at the beginning of the halves, you know, the same thing, but with Alfred Payton. Um, and that's just, you know, you, you got to hope and pray a hunter gets back. He's a great player for many reasons. You want to back for many reasons, but his size is definitely one of them. Um, so that's one low hanging fruit. I would say the other thing is, and I'm not, this is a new thought and I don't, it might sound weird, but after or during game one, it was like, all right, you've got a pair Embiid and Capella's minutes. But Gallinari's def- his his old man crafty defense on Embiid was like kind of reminiscent of what he was doing to Julius Randle. And going into and I really and those lineups worked tonight of John Collins even being on an office game, John Collins and Gallinari, even when Embiid was on the floor, which to my surprise, those men's were working tonight. I think um, one of the, those lineups was uh, where is it? You know, plus twelve in seven minutes. Um, another lineup broke even in seven minutes. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I actually think this, but I'm starting to wonder if if you can put Capella in on the second unit more, and he can dominate Dwight Howard. Because like he's so great with the offensive rebounds, he's so great running the floor. But it, but so is Embiid, and if Embiid's keeping him on the glass and Embiid's keeping him from scoring his putbacks, would it make more sense to, to stagger his minutes with the second unit so he can do his thing against Dwight Howard? I don't know if I really think that. That's it sounds crazy coming out of my mouth. No, I, I get it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it might be worth trying. It's something we were actually talking about in uh, in our Peachtree Hoop Slack at the end of the game, like. Not that you want to just you know you know you're not, not going to bench Capella and I know you're not no. saying that, but it might be worth it to try, try to juice the offense with playing Gallo on and be a little more and maybe hit that actually that also might help Collins because that puts Collins in a better spot offensively a little bit than when he's trying to play with Capella sometimes and I don't know there's 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 reasons to do that I wonder how much they're how much Philly's going to play Howard the rest of the series yeah. like he played he played 11 minutes in this game he actually he's actually okay. But I wonder if that they'll go away from him if they, if, they, if the Hawks actually did that with, that with, with Capella. I, I'm with you though. Like Capella, it might sound counterintuitive because you obviously on paper would need your best defender by far and your big center to defend Joel Embiid. But it's not a good matchup for Capella. Like right. at the end of the day, Philly's Philly's a good matchup for the Hawks, relatively speaking, as far as like a number one seed would be concerned. I kind of like the matchup for the Hawks in a lot of ways, but that's not one of them. Like Capella. You know, this this is this is not serious for him to be a star. Probably, it's just he's trying to hold up on Embiid and try not to not 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 to get killed. But I'm with you about Gallo. Like, 
Gallo's defensive deficiencies are very clear a lot of the time, but he is a big, strong individual. And he's not, um, if he's got a, if he's playing in a tight space, he's better than when he's on the, when he's out on the floor. So, yeah, I mean, if you're already going to get sort of exploited by Embiid anyway, there might be an argument to just like letting Embiid go for 45 a game in the series. And then also (laughs) being better set up offensively, because if Capella is not going to be a factor on offense and he really kind of hasn't been in either game so far, um, Mm -hmm. that's an easier sell to go to Gallo, particularly when Gallo has it going. Like if Gallo is struggling, then it's not worth it. But if he's five, nine from three, like he was in this game, it's a Mm -hmm. little bit easier. sell. and if he's facing the floor, taking Embiid away from the hoop. Yep. Um, and I also liked, I mean, even though Collins was having his off night, when they were doing those high pick and rolls, I think it was third quarter, it, it was with it was Collins, and Embiid was in there. because it, it forces Embiid to cover a lot of ground with a torn meniscus, right? Like, it still puts pressure on the rim as opposed to, like, if Gallo's just sitting in the corner, you know, spacing the floor, it takes Embiid away from the hoop, but it doesn't, it doesn't, like, ask a lot of Embiid physically, right? Because he's had issues with stamina in the past and and i think you know having that rim runner playing fast as as the hawks were doing especially more on the second and third quarters i mean collins is a great rim runner just like capella but he is also a 40 percent shooter so you can space the floor with him but still have a little bit of rim pressure and so it doesn't let indeed just coast on defense even if he's away from the hoop so i'm not i don't know if that's the right yeah, I'm definitely not saying start with that unit next no. game, but it would it's be an interesting. Yeah, it's an option. And, and if Gallinari can, you know, just exceed expectations on his on-ball defense in a beat, it might work. And maybe it doesn't, and you at least try it, though. Yeah, it's it's also an option where, you know, if you're losing in particular, um, or if you're, you know, if you're down 10 in the third quarter and you can't seem to get stops anyway, you might pivot to offense and they mm-hmm. finally did that a little bit in the fourth quarter when it was like probably over they went all offense and it was like all right now it's time to do davis strategies and try to just like you know increase variance they you know they fouled simmons the one time and then <laughs> doc took him out but um yeah it, it's game flow stuff it also could be you know if, if Capella plays better maybe it's not gonna be an issue but uh that's one option for sure um i've taken a bunch, a bunch of your time um if there's, if there's anything that you were definitely uh itching to share please go ahead and do that and give me any final thoughts you have because obviously it's like tough to project the series it's one one um you know I, i'm pretty sure philadelphia will be the betting favorite by a decent margin after this win they were still a slight favorite in the betting market before game two and then they won it so um that's the consensus but uh if nothing else i need i need to know where you are with the rest of the series so rest of the series I mean, it's tough. It's the fact that the Hawks fought the comeback, even if it fell short ultimately, gave me a lot more hope going into game three and four, right? Um, you've seen it before where the underdog wins game one and it seems like the the favorite almost like woke up too late that day. And then they, especially because they won the second half of, of game one. And so you, you could see them steamrolling game two and game three. So the fact that that didn't happen in game two, even though it's the loss, made, gave me hope. Um, and there's a lot of variance. I mean, like, as bad as Philly was shooting from the outside with their turnovers in game one, they were better than – they shot, what, 46% from three this game. They had only nine turnovers, and some of those were in the fourth quarter. You know, like, like they're not going to shoot near 50%. I think they were at 50% until the 
until like halfway in the fourth quarter as well from three. And that's not going to happen, right? There's going to be somewhere in the middle it, it averages out. So things going forward, I've got my reservations. I've got my optimism. It's a little bit of, you know, half and half right now. Um, some things I like, some things that worried me. Like, you know, I don't think Shake Milton is going to do that again and go four for five <laughs> from three. Yeah. Um, but you know, I also think I think like Maxi had zero points for a while. I don't know if he ended. I don't think he ended with that. But like, um, you know, it it comes down to sometimes it comes down to the way the ball bounces, right? It comes down to do Trey's floaters drop in or drop out, and they dropped in the first game, drop out the second game. Um, I'm excited for the rest of the series. I I'm not really too concerned over this loss. I thought there was reasons for optimism from it, um, but a loss is never <laughs> is ever the goal. No, and you know I think the Hawks are still in totally fine shape. And you know if you come home and protect home court, you're you know all you, all you have to do. Famous last words: If you win your home games, you win the series. <laughs> uh, it's not that easy, but they certainly can do that. And the Hawks, to their credit, have been incredible in their home building for like the last three months or so. So mm-hmm. we will see how this goes. Um, well, before I let you get out of here, please uh, tell people where they can find your stuff. I, uh, I did uh, promote you a little bit before I brought you in, but please uh, share where you can find your work. I know you have Medium up and your Twitter and your Twitter account is also uh, Prime Viewing. As I, I think uh, anytime we can find smart Hawks fans that share content, I'm always trying to uh, share their work. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So Bowser 2, Bowser, that's the number two um, on Twitter. And I do game threads and and clips on Twitter. And I'll also link on Twitter. Sometimes I'll write, uh, I have a medium that's also Bowser to Bowser, a medium blog post where I'll do like uh, favorite plays from last night where I analyze and break down like some cool plays and X's and those kind of thing. I also started this thing called the basketball action dictionary, which is like, you know, a Chicago action, a Ram screen, an exit screen, all those, all those like weird terminology. I, just decided, oh, it'd be really nice if I had all the definitions in one place. So there's the basketballactiondictionary.medium.com, which you can also is linked on my Twitter account. But basically, if you don't know where to go, you can find almost everything on Twitter, this Bowser to Bowser. Follow, follow, follow. I recommend at the highest level. And thank you for joining me, sir. It's uh, a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure I will ask you to do this again at some point in the future, but I appreciate you joining me. It's also late, so go, go get some sleep and uh, <laughs> I'll enjoy, try. enjoy the rest of your evening. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast and we'll see you next time.